This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is November 1st, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Bruce Fredericks, and I was at Hofstra Radio from the fall of 1977 through June of 1980, the, in the three, three years I attended Hofstra. Very good. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming back and doing another interview with us. I, I can't wait to hear your stories. My pleasure. So did you have any titles or positions at the station? Yes, I did. Um, uh, my first title was chief announcer, mm-hmm. uh, which I inherited from the very talented Wayne Kurtzman, big shoes to fill there in that role, and then eventually became music director of the station, uh, the baton being passed to me by the late, great Jim Del Balzo. And I was mm. in that position for two years. Okay. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit the, in our first conversation, but could you remind us how you uh, came about the position of chief announcer? Was that something that you were pursuing or did Wayne talk to you about that? How did that uh, happen? I, I, I don't know that I was necessarily pursuing it. I know I wanted to get deeply involved in the station and in the management of the station because it was just such a passion for me. Um, and I felt so lucky to be at Hofstra, uh, g- given its reputation uh, nationally as, as one of the top college stations. Um, so I, I, I think there was a need to fill, and I was happy to do it. And, you know, eventually when the the music director position came up, I had held that position when I was at Ohio Wesleyan my mm-hmm. freshman year at the radio station there. I was music director. So I sort of thought eventually I would like to to get there if the opportunity presented itself. Okay. So so music director was the goal, but in the meantime, you have this opportunity to be chief announcer. Um, I, I guess you probably had a sense of what the job was like from having gone through training and, and working with Wayne. Yes, absolutely. And it was very important in terms of uh, creating a, a, uh, a great air sound for the station um, through and through, you know, we wanted to sound as professional as possible and how you sound on the microphone is a big part of that. Mm. Um, do you remember teaching announcing classes? Do you remember when new people would come in and, uh, anything that you may have taught or, or any advice you may have given? Um, well, I remember teaching them, uh, it, there was a classroom in Memorial hall up, up, upstairs there across from our offices. And that's, and there was a blackboard and, uh, I remember teaching tongue twisters, uh, mm-hmm. one of the more popular ones was the, the sea ceaseth and the sea sufficeth, um, among, among others. And, uh, it, it, that's about all I remember of that, <laughs> but, but, but it, it, it was fun. And, you know, it was, it was the great thing about being in any of these roles is, um, you got to pass on what you learned to others. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're at once a student and then it's really great fun to teach. And you, you actually s- reinforce your own knowledge of subject matter that's benefiting the station when you do teach. You know, you get better at what you're supposed to be doing just by teaching it. 
Mm-hmm. I think a number of us get comfortable behind the mic or uh, doing a show, and maybe we forget some of the rules because you get comfortable. And then here you are teaching new recruits. So that's uh, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense that you would say, okay, am I doing the things that I'm teaching as well? Well, you need to model the behavior, as they say. Yeah. That's, you know, a good teacher models models the right behavior. So, hmm. and yeah. speaking of teachers and models, uh, Jeff Krause. Um, what a model, what a leader. Uh, did you take any credit classes with him? Was he teaching any radio courses that, that you may have taken as an undergrad? Oh boy. Um, I'm trying to, I, I, I must've taken something with him. I was a communications minor, political mm. science major. Um, but, uh, the, the joke is, um, I spent so much time in the radio station. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to call it a minor. Um, I I really don't recall, but I must have taken something with with Jeff. And frankly, he just by being around him, you had a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, even even whether you were getting credit for the course or not, uh, you know, to be a sponge around Jeff Kraus, you you learned a lot. Absolutely. I've gotten a sense from a lot of people who, who studied with him and, and worked for him during their undergrad years that he didn't necessarily push a lot of uh, specific lessons on people, but he was always listening. He was always paying attention. He always had an ear to what was going on, and he would sort of gently nudge people in the right direction or or not necessarily give out full compliments and say, hey, you're doing a great job there, sport. But he would sort of let you know in his own way that things were, uh, that he was pleased or, or displeased as it may be with what was going on. Does that, does that ring a bell for you? Uh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And, 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 and sort of looking back, if there's, there's one regret I had, you know, I took advantage of a, a lot of opportunities in the radio station, you know, the music shows, you know, uh, rock, jazz, uh, producing a uh, environmental public affairs show that I never thought I would do, never thought I would yeah. like, and I loved it. Um, but what I would have, if I could turn back the hands of time, I would have uh, gotten involved in doing uh, radio drama uh, with with Jeff and um, the 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 others that were so good at it. And I think Elliot Lifson was involved mm. in that um, because it's. It's it's so cool, and and actually, in my uh, training to become a voice actor, much later in life, um, one of the classes I took was radio drama, and we got to put on three radio dramas in the course of this nine week class, and so much enjoyed it because it's you know radio is theater of the mind, right. and radio drama really hammers that home. It it um, because it's it dimensionalizes so much of what you can do in that medium. So that's my regret. <laughs> mm, mm. Understood. Yeah. I, I, it sounded like from what we've, we've talked about earlier, the, the music was really the driving passion of what you wanted to do. So let's talk about going for the position of music director. Again, was this something, it, it seems like it was something that you had in mind. You remember having conversations with Jeff or, or student management about wanting to do this, position? Yes. Um, I, I, I told Jim Del Balzo that I had a, a great interest in it. He was the music director uh, at the time. 
and um, gra- gradually he he let me assist him, and then he graduated, and uh, I, I I guess I I got his blessing, and and I uh, took over, and then what was really cool is um, he went on to work for um, Polydor Records um, after uh, after graduation. And I thought that was so cool. I then got to interface with him uh, in in his uh, his role there, and yeah. So that's how I got involved. You start out apprenticing, and and then do a good job. Show that you know you have a passion for it. That you're you're picking things up, and uh, I, I got the chance. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Um, I've I've heard Jim's name any dozen number of times or so, but I don't know much about him. What do you remember about Jim and uh, and working with him? Um, he was very smart about just very smart period, but very smart about the industry. Uh, he really knew how to relate to people and. Uh, particularly people within the industry, uh, and and just really nice guy, very fun. Um, like to you know joke around. Never took himself, uh, you know, too seriously, but took th- his role seriously. Hmm. And uh, be- because of him uh, and the connections that he made in the record industry with various uh, promo folks at, at different. Um, record companies, you know, we, we got all the vinyl we needed. Uh, we, we got um, uh, opportunities with contests, um, some live broadcasts here and there. And uh, he really set the standard for what a top-notch music director could can do um, at a station, you know, such as Hofstra. Hmm. Uh, so I really, uh, appreciated him. And I was, I was, I was heartbroken, uh, when I, uh, came back for our 60th reunion in 2019, uh, to, to learn of his, his, uh, his passing. Hmm. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, one of the nice things for me about, uh, doing these interviews is getting to know, uh, a little bit about people through the stories of, of the people who met them, who knew them. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I do have to ask a little bit of a minutia question because it's just how my brain operates. I understand that there, that the main office was upstairs in Memorial hall. And I remember when uh, during my time, when we were in the basement, that there were separate offices for the music office and Suziza had her own office in the classical office. Was there a separate room for the music office and, and how did that, how did that operate if it was? No, we were one big open space. Every, mm-hmm. You know, all, all the management I was uh, considered, I guess there's the administrative board. Then there was executive board. I was on the administrative board. We all had desks and, mm-hmm. and the program director was in the back corner on one side of the room and the station manager uh, across on the other and in the middle was Jeff Krause between those two and I was uh, closest to the program director 
probably because he or she wanted the free vinyl. There you go. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. But, but we were we were all in one room except there was a like a, a sort of a big closet in the corner where uh, if there was a uh, a private conversation that needed to take place, uh, that's where it would. And and when you'd see two people go walk into that room, everybody would kind of like, hmm, what's that mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It it can't be good news if they're going in there. I'm sure. Well, uh, could have could, could have been, but it was fun to, you know, think the, think the worst of it. <laughs> well, let the speculation begin. I I suppose. Um, so practically speaking, were you clearing records in the office? Were you listening on headphones, or was it just this is what we're listening to right now? We're clearing these new records that came in, and this is what we're doing. There was, as I recall, a phonograph behind my desk, and I. Uh, you, you could put headphones on. It really kind of depended upon what was going on in the office. It, yeah. it was, I'd like to say, okay, it's Tuesday. We're all going to hear the new records. It, it just didn't, you know, cause it's just a lot going on. Right. And, um, but, uh, w- w- one of my principal roles was, you know, get the vinyl, you know, make sure you've got the latest and the greatest as much as, uh, you know, you've got everything in your catalog that you need. Um, to to serve the formats and and then you know preview the new stuff and uh recommend you know what what uh what cuts are you know Mm -hmm. the great cuts on the albums and and you know let everybody know about them uh, I, I remember we had a we had a filing system. We'd put stickers, and, and I think it was we labeled the first four letters of the the name, and then sometimes we put a separate sticker on with you know these are the recommended tracks, like you said, or don't play this one. It says you know it's got bad words in it. Was there something like that at the time? Sure, uh, yeah. there was male vocal, there was female vocal, there was mm. har- harmonic vocal. I think it was called, which was like your Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, the Association. Mm. Um, uh, there was sort of, I guess, straight ahead rock. I don't think we had classic rock back then, because if you think right. about it, well, it, <laughs> it was classic, but it wasn't ready to call it classic. You know, but then we had oldies. That's what we would, we, you know, today, classic rock. Back then, it was called oldies because it was reflecting back to 50s and right. 60s to a certain point. So, right. Um, it's so much fun thinking about this. Some of my favorite memories of Hofstra Radio are were spent in the music office and digging through archives and going to get in the new releases. So I, I appreciate living vicariously through your time there. And since you did the job for two years, you must have loved it. What was your favorite part about being music director? Um, it was interfacing with the college promo folk at the various record companies because mm-hmm. uh, it was so cool and and um I, I seriously considered doing what jim del balzo did uh in in terms of making that leap into the industry unfortunately when i graduated uh we we were in a deep recession as a country mm-hmm. and the record industry was laying people off <laughs> they were not hiring um so, but that be that as it may, it 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 was fun. Um, uh, I I enjoyed going into New York and meeting with them in person, uh, getting contests going with them, interviews with them. Um, 
one of the ways I communicated with them is, is I would write, I don't know whether it's every two weeks or every month, I would write a, uh, a letter to the industry thanking, letting them know what's going on at WVHC, as we were called back then, mm-hmm. the sound on Long Island. Uh, and you know, what was going on What the, what, what, what was getting the most airplay, you know, thanking so-and-so for the great contest. And if you will indulge me, yeah, uh, I will very quickly read you uh, some of the communication. So this particular one uh, is dated April 23rd, 1979, and it begins. Hi, gang. Here's what's happening at our radio station. On May 5th and 6th, we will be broadcasting live from the Sunrise Mall in Massapequa, the fourth annual Long Island Bluegrass and Country Music Festival. There will be 22 bands and $1,000 in prize money, and it's the biggest country music festival on the island. If there is any country or bluegrass product, remember this is addressed to college promo folks, Mm -hmm. that you would like us to give away at the mall, please let us know and we'd be happy to oblige. Speaking of country, our response to our six-month-old country and western format continues to grow as product arrives from more and more companies and as we broadcast more live music be listening for a wvhc country and western jamboree that is currently in the works for the late summer or early autumn while other rock stations have leaned towards heavier contemporary music for their aor formats uh, we are maintaining our policy of a moderately progressive format. Feedback is wholeheartedly welcome. And then I give sales report. I gave, uh, you know, what's what's getting heavy airplay, moderate airplay, and how that crossed with sales data collected from uh, area uh, record chains, in, including Corvettes. Remember Corvettes? <laughs> I, I do a little bit. I do. I remember a little bit. I know. I know the name more it's, than the memory. EJ but, yeah. Corvettes was a big department store that's you know been gone for many, many, many years. But yeah. uh, they they had a great record department and they re- reported sales to us. And so what we tried to do is sort of justify you know how much attention we were worth paying by the various uh, record companies. Uh, by showing, trying to show a correlation between our airplay and sales of records in the area. Anyway, so so you know from this you you learn that that what I, what I read that we really got involved in the community. Uh, not only you know did you know we, did we have our shows, but we went out and did live remotes that that were consistent with the formats that we were wanted to showcase. And in fact, country music, uh, was, I think this was Steve Graziano's, uh, brainchild. He, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I remember when he announced we were going to, uh, it wasn't like across the board, you know, we still did some, you know, some rock shows and jazz shows, but there was a big block of time where we became known as WVHC country and I even remember Steve walking around the office with a Stetson hat to re- reinforce that. Uh, he was wow. around the time. So uh, my my hat off to you, Steve. I'll, I'll <laughs> your, your cowboy read, hat off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if I may, I'll read one more little bit from, uh, this is Please. from 
February 6th, nine, it was February 1980. And I said, uh, hello there. It's nearing the end of February. And here's what's happening at the Sound on Long Island. That's us. Our free live radio broadcast with The Now was a success. I bet you don't remember that band. If you no. do. It took place on Wednesday, February 6th, 1980 in the Hofstra Rathskeller. That was a New York accent just creeped uh-huh. out on me. Uh, <laughs> the place was packed and the general response was quite good. Many thanks to Ken Levy of Midsong Records. And we are anticipating more future live radio concerts. Um, and then I talk about the contests we did and uh, we did an XTC cons- contest around making plans for Nigel and I won't get get into it but it was fun doing this and this kind of gives you a sense of um what was going on it was more than just uh radio shows we were putting ourselves out there in the community and and uh part of that was um either having live concerts ourselves or uh, in in our own you know rathskeller or the gym or wherever or the playhouse uh, or uh, going to you know broadcast some other concerts uh, around Long Island, um, you know when when it it made sense, and as long as WBAB or WLIR weren't doing it, mm-hmm. so. were were these these events were they being broadcast live on the air or taped on the air or was it just sort of we're we're going to these events to to have a presence? Um. Uh, often they were broadcast on the air. That the concert, the now I remember from the Rathskeller, we were broadcasting live from the Rathskeller. We also did. I remember a band from the late seventies called the Fabulous Poodles, but no. we did a, a a live broadcast of them, and and we would try to you know good smart marketing. We would try to not just do the broadcast, but we would promote the upcoming broadcast. We'd give away albums. Uh, we'd give away tickets to the concert at the Rathskeller. Uh, I guess you had to pay for it. Um, and uh, what was great is, is, you know, we were we were pretending we were uh, a, a a real professional radio station, you know, a, a commercial station, I mm-hmm. should say, not just right. a college station. And uh, it was a hell of a, a heck of a lot of fun. And uh, we, we learned uh, a, a great deal that for those who would be going into broadcast later, uh, they, you know, really had uh, a lot they were bringing with them because they were given the license to, uh, to be very creative and, um, you know, re- really pretend that, you know, this is the real deal, you know we're commercial radio, but we're, we're college radio. So, right. So it, it just strikes me as very ambitious and very thoughtful and very well organized. And I know that, you know, recent leadership, whether it's Bruce Avery or John Mullen, they often emphasize that Hofstra radio was student run radio. It's not commercial radio, but student run, but it's basically professional radio that the expectation is we're doing things on a level that would be comparable with commercial stations. And it sounds like that's what you guys were doing because that's, that's, that's a a really great idea to reach out on a regular basis and type up these memos and mail them out and say, this is what we're doing. And this is what we'd like our relationship to be. That's a lot better than just sort of 
sitting by the phone or by the mailbox waiting for things to roll in. You were taking an active role in promoting the station and, and getting more, uh, you know, content for the station. That's, that's fabulous. Yes. And what we also did is we, we gave listeners an alternative to commercial radio by uh, exploring formats that, you know, perhaps uh, would not succeed on a commercial level, but you could still get sizable audiences for them um, be, because uh, there, there was, there was some demand. It's just, you know, it, uh, it wouldn't get the highest rating on a commercial station, mm-hmm. but, um, but you had listeners. That was for sure. Absolutely. So I'm going to put you on the spot because uh, you mentioned the country music show and I know there was a rock show and I have an, uh, an idea of what else was on the air, but do you remember what the other, the, the, the programs that were on the air at the time, what sort of rock or jazz shows were, were going on uh, on weekdays? Sure. Well, uh, it's easier to work backwards. Cause I, I, I mean, my favorite was, was, was doing uh, album, album oriented rock show called changes, mm-hmm. which was the, the last show of the day went from, it was either 10 or 11 till maybe as late as two o'clock in the morning. Okay. And it was on seven nights a week. Uh, we also, earlier in the day, we had a jazz show uh, called the Jazz Spectrum, mm-hmm. um, which was fairly mainstream, a mix of mainstream and progressive jazz. And we had quite a good uh, jazz library. And um, I, I did some of, some of that for a while. I remember Steve Fendel. Uh, was a, a a big fan of that format and and had a had a uh, great show. Um, there was uh, I think it was called Simply Folk. I remember our uh, program director before Steve Linda Dayletter. Um, she was the host of that show, and then we had a whole bunch of language shows um we had a french show we had an italian show i believe we had a spanish show hmm. uh, environmental pu- public affairs i said we had uh swede olson did a polka show that was mm-hmm. quite popular um country format that came in it was uh late later in my tenure there mm-hmm. I, 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 I didn't do it do, do it but i respected it i why well, <laughs> we're doing it and, uh, and, oh, I, right, right before, I think in, in, in like the last semester, we did a, um, and I don't know if this replaced changes or sup or supplemented it, something called the post-punk progressive pop party. Mm-hmm. Say that three times fast. And a gentleman <laughs> named Bob Goldsmith Mm-hmm. This was his baby. He was into really deep into punk and and sort of this alternative music. And I think it was awesome that we did it. And he had uh, this young lady. Oh God, what was her name? Rachel, maybe or something. I th- Actually, I think her she had a radio name called Rachel Popcorn. <laughs> so, but but the, the two of them were great. They were they were so pure about what they were doing. It was interesting because right around that time, I, I, I don't know whether it was coincidental or who influenced who, but WLIR, our Long Island, you know, very popular 
rock station changed its format to W and, and, and call letters to WDRE, the mm-hmm. station that dares to be different. Mm-hmm. And um, so, cause that was, that was all happening there. And, the, you know, the late seventies, uh, new wave and punk was really catching fire. Hmm. I've, I've had conversations with, with Bob about that and with Sal Lucurto and with Barry Lane about oh. starting the P5 show and how, you know, the, the music scene was changing and, and everybody sort of mentioned the changes show. And then there was the post-punk progressive pop party. And I, I guess it was around that time that, that, that it either switched over or, or they were running concurrently, something like that. But, but you gave a real full picture of what the, the broadcast date was like. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, good for them for doing that. Cause mm-hmm. you know, you, you wanted to, you want to be Vanguard. I mean, that's the, that's the opportunity that, you know, that college radio, you know, offers is, uh, you know, go out there, be on the cutting edge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing such a deep dive into the, into the job. Like I said, I loved my time working with the music department and producing shows like that. So, uh, I, I really appreciate that. And I love hearing those letters. That's, I was grinning just, ear to ear listening to that. I, I, I can't wait to go back and listen to those letters. That's, that's fabulous. But I want to ask more about your particular time there. Uh, is there a story when you think of Hofstra radio that you always tell that always comes to mind? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's a bit bittersweet. Um, but it's, um, but it, it makes me smile on a number of levels. So the situation was, um, uh, so, and Carol Ham- Karen Hamble mentioned this during your recent interview with her that that on on uh, holidays, um, you know, a, a, a Christian holiday, uh, oftentimes non Christians, uh, I, I happen to be uh, Jewish, uh, would would come on in and and you know and spell the people that were celebrating that holiday. And I came in Christmas night. This would have been. I guess Christmas night, 1979. I'm, I'm pretty sure. And, um, I did, did the show and then, uh, backing up a little bit, um, something tragic had happened on Christmas Eve. Um, so a a few days earlier, and that is one of the DJs from our station, really swell guy named Patrick Driscoll, was tragically uh, died in an auto accident, oh. and uh, everybody was just crushed. I mean, you know, frankly, it 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 it, it killed Christmas. Um, we we were though, how can this happen? You know, he's, he's so young, such a great guy. His funeral was the day after Christmas at a um, a, a Catholic church uh, in Huntington. And uh, since I was up late, I did did the show, and I had every intention of of going. I was woke up a little late. I stayed at the dorm that night because I knew I was going to have to be out in Huntington rather than go, go back to my folks' house. And I'm driving out there. I'm shaving. I'm like eating while I'm driving and, you know, putting my tie on, you know, the, the, the whole bit. Hmm. Uh, I get to the church and the place was packed. I start to walk in and I'm on a line and the line is moving and I'm going, God, where am I going to sit? And I noticed the line was moving up front 
And that um, I, I figured, well, I guess there's only seats left up front. You know, a lot of people don't want to sit too far up front because they figure that's for family. I'm walking, I'm walking and walking, and I'm, I'm sort of looking by me and I see folks from the station, the radio station, smiling at me like, and, and giving me kind of a weird look. The reason they're giving me a weird look is the line I was on was a communion line. And, you know, I <laughs> realized it as I approached the front, what was going on. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't, like, turn around. That's going to be so embarrassing. So as it was, I went to an Episcopal prep school, St. Paul's in Garden City, you know, Jewish that I, I'd be, I went. So I kind of knew what the deal was. And uh, uh, I I kind of went up and uh, took communion, and uh, I, 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 you know, I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck. I just, I didn't want to. It. I figured this is a funeral. I didn't want to make a scene, so I just, mm. I knew what to do. <laughs> I did mm. it, and uh, I, I went and I sat down, and boy, did I get grief later from lots of people though I, re I remember todd ant mm -hmm. coming up to me saying fredericks i thought you were jewish what are you, what are you doing and i'm going uh can you make me feel any smaller oh. um I, I felt horrible but um you know that's it's but when you tell it now you're kind of like you know it's kind of one of those stories that was uh you know at the time it you were like cringing but mm -hmm. it's, you, you look back at it, you know, w with a smile because, you know, number one, we're all there as a community. Now, the other part of it, which is interesting, is the eulogy was delivered by none other than Billy Joel. Wow. So uh, Patrick Driscoll, when he was not at the station, uh, had a, a, a job at a bar in um, Syosset, I believe, called the Upper Deck. And he, he was a DJ at the bar, at the, at the pub. And Billy Joel, you know, he's from out, mm -hmm. out there, you know, from a town known as Oyster Bay, Long Island, you know. And uh, maybe it was Oyster Bay, not Syosset. And um, he used to come out and hang out and chat with Patrick. Well, if you go pick up the album for Glass Houses, which came out, uh, I think, the following year, um it on the on the on the liner notes it says this album is dedicated in memory of patrick driscoll that's the billy joel album obviously yeah and um i got to meet billy years later at a bar in roslyn called ferns a wine and cheese shop he was in there with uh i don't know could have been christy brinkley who knows um uh, the timing i think would have been right and i and i i went over to him and i said you know, I'm, I'm sorry to intrude. And I told him the story. I, I didn't tell him the, the communion part, but I told mm -hmm, him that I was mm -hmm. in the funeral and I really appreciate all the wonderful things you said about Patrick and, and you're dedicating glass houses to him in, in memory of him. And, and we chatted for a few minutes and you know, he was going, like, that's really nice of you to say, you know, what's your name and what have you. So mm. That, wow. that is a story that, that, that recurs and, you know, it just sort of reminds you that, you know, we were 
together in uh, happy times and sad times, you know, good times and what have you. We were really a very tight knit community as a, you know, members of that station. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I had not heard that story about Patrick before. So um, I, I'm, I'm a little at uh, a loss for what to say other than uh, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry that you all had to go through something like that. It's uh, I just had a conversation. I have a, I have a student teacher now and, and we're talking about just such things that you have all these plans and the things you want to do with your students and your curriculum and, you know, life events intrude and you have to, you know, step back sometimes and say, well, what's important? What are the things that matter? And, and in this, this terrible situation, family comes together and the family of the radio station comes together. And if they happen to give you a little bit of grief because, you know, you're at a place oh. at, at, at the church, that's part of what family does. And that's, you know, they don't let you forget that. And of uh, gosh, of what, oh, what a story. Thank you for sharing well, and, that. And, 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 and also, as you, as you probably know, when, when you're at a sad event, a funeral memorial um, afterwards, you know, it's okay to laugh because yeah. it's, it's, it's a solemn moment. And it's also a celebration and you, you, you know, uh, you're sad, you're happy. And it, you know, it, it kind of, uh, it, it's all okay. It's those, all those okay. emotions overlap quite a bit. You know, you get to a point of, of grief where there's nothing else to do, but laugh, or there's not, you, or you get to a point where you just, uh, exhausted. So, um, it's an emotional, an emotional release, an emotional yeah. release. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, I, I guess, I guess along those lines of stories that stick with you or maybe come back as you're, as you're thinking about these things, are there stories that you, you, you know, have only maybe recently remembered preparing for this or things that don't come up very often that you wouldn't mind sharing? Well, w one of the things I, it's not a story so much, but it's a, um, one of the cool things, and I, I, I know it only amp got amplified in more recent years as, um, uh, you, know, you know, the uh, network from the station just into, the, you know, com commercial world just grew and grew and grew. And that is by, the, the station was a great, um, uh, hub for allowing you to go out and do other things outside the station, but were connected to, uh, music or mm. it could be, it didn't have to be music, could be other things, but, uh, you know, your reputation, the fact that you were at the station doing something, you, you sort of, um, you know, made connections in the outside world that could serve you post-grad, but could also serve you while you were at the station. So in my case, um, I ended up uh, writing, and part of this was, I think, just being at the station, but my connections with the industry for a publication called The Island Ear. Mm -hmm. And um, it, at the time, was the was, was known as the entertainment publication of Long Island and Queens and focused heavily on on music, rock and roll music particularly. And um, 
I got to uh, do cover stories with um, Hall and Oates, um, Todd Rudgren, Rick Derringer, um, Lou Reed, uh, John Anderson of Yes on a number of occasions. Uh, I'm just throwing out a few of them. Mm. Um, and and uh, did concert reviews. So I'd, I'd get, uh, you know, tickets, great tickets to concerts, you know, sit, sit in great seats, complimentary, my father's place or the bottom line in the city. And uh, it was it was terrific. And it was very complimentary to what I was doing on the station. They all kind of synergized. And then then I also um, there was a, a, a and, and that publication was published by a, a great guy named Ari Nadboy. And I stuck around uh, and, and did that post-grad for about 10 years until I moved out to the West Coast. Um, I continued to uh, uh, interview artists. The last one I ever did was um, Kurt Smith of uh, Tears for Fears. Wow. Uh, he, he was great when uh, they came out with an album called uh, Sowing the Seeds of Love. Yeah. Uh, in the, uh, or maybe it was just Sowing the Seeds in, uh, I think, around 1990. Uh, the other, the other was um, a gentleman named Mike Riccio, who his business was supplying the disc jockeys for the music clubs around Long Island and uh, Westchester. I, I, I don't know if he went beyond that. I don't remember. So I, I got involved with that, and I, I did uh, DJed, and it was it was paid. And the Island Ear work, by the way, was paid too. Not a lot, but got something for it. And mm-hmm. but the DJing and the clubs was I got money for. Um, Blackbeards in uh, uh, Baldwin, where I would DJ, and Tommy James and the Shondells would be the the band on any given night. Um, uh, Beggars Opera in Queens Village, where Twisted Sister played a lot, and uh, things got pretty raucous. Um, I bet at that club <laughs> i was like I think I'm, stay up in my booth uh <laughs> D- detroit up in port chester new york which was my favorite because i was way up in this this tower uh over this uh place that that held i you know i want to say 800 people and i remember the good rats uh, used to play there a lot mm-hmm. and um you know you had such a presence up there so um it was a gas you know, working at the radio station, writing articles for this pub, and for a while being a, a club jock on the weekends at various uh, nightclubs wherever I was, you know, told to go next. Nice. That's that's uh, that sounds like an awful lot of fun. And you've you've mentioned a number of, of great bands and artists and events uh, during your time at WVHC. Is there a song or an event or, or something that happened that in your mind kind of defines your time at the station? Well, um, it would have had to be a press conference while I was a music director. This to me was like the pinnacle. Uh-huh. It was a press conference with the Grateful Dead and in New York City. And there he was, Jerry Garcia, right in front of me. I don't remember if I asked a question or not, I was just sitting there and just starstruck uh-huh. and, and like, wow, we're at a press conference with the Grateful Dead. Now, I wasn't really a quote unquote deadhead, but I really liked them. 
And I'm like, you know, this is the best. This is great. Look where we are. Look what I'm doing here. And my deadhead friends were uh, so jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was also one I remember with uh, Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac when he came out with a solo record. Uh, he had a press conference. So all of these opportunities um, just sort of rolled up into a ball uh, were... We're, we're just the best. It's, it's, you know, I, I can't think of any time in my life where there's just been fun, 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 um, contiguously. Yeah. <laughs> Never bored, uh, happy with, with, you know, things didn't always, you know, work out exactly how you wanted them to, but it didn't matter. <laughs> You were, you know, look where you were. You were in the center of universe of all this great music, great radio, and, you know, couldn't ask for anything more. Wow. Um, My next question, you kind of alluded to this before with with not doing more with, with radio theater at the time, but you accomplished so much and got access to so many cool things that I'm, I'm profoundly jealous of. But was there, was there something that you wish... Otherwise, that you could have done while you were at the station, or that that you wish would have gone a little bit better. Well, okay, I I'll mention this. I made a choice. I was given the opportunity. People are going to hear this and go, "Fredericks, you're crazy." Hmm. I was given the opportunity to uh, actually do an internship at WLIR, but and and I was actually. I, I guess my voice was going to be on the air, not as a DJ, but but in some small little ways. But in order to do that, I would have to give up being on the air mm-hmm. at at Hofstra's WVHC. And you know what? I made a choice. I said, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. Wow. I will not do that. And I you know, and I don't regret it. You know, I really don't regret it. Um, at the time, it was so important to me, you know, everything that I was doing at the station, but, you know, certainly on the air, that um, I just didn't want to go there. And, you know, they were like, wow, <laughs> you're saying no to us? And I was saying, well, I'm like, yes, unfortunately. Un- probably unfortunately for me, but, um, you know, I, I don't I don't really regret it. I, I think back and I ask, you know, what if, right. you know, would, would you have, you know, grown, graduated to being on the air and, you know, you know, post-college I was on the air professionally. I, at, uh, a station up in Poughkeepsie, New York called, called WPDH. And I did that for a couple of years while I was breaking into the advertising business as a copywriter during the week. Mm. Um, and I enjoyed it. It was fantastic. You know, pro- pro- professional album oriented rock and, you know, was in some rated time slots and made it an 88 mile drive every weekend to mm-hmm. do my shows up to Poughkeepsie. And, uh, it was fantastic. It, the, the what ifs are, are always interesting and, and it, you have to make that decision. Am I going to have this, I guess, like you said, a limited role or a limited voice on the air? Will that grow into something more? 
or will it just be this one thing and then I miss out on the opportunity at WVHC? It's a tough, it's a tough call to make because we all want to do something or most of us want to do something professionally, get that opportunity. That's, that must've been a tough call. Did you have to think about that quite a bit? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I had, you know, forever to think about it. Well, like, no. <laughs> like this? Let us, let us know quick, you know, soon. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I made my choice and I, I live with it. I kind of wonder whatever happened to the guy or gal who, right. who got the offer after me. I don't, I don't know who that would have been, but, um, it, it, it was, uh, it it was cool. I think I actually ended up doing something at LIR. I think I manned their, they had something called an airline. I don't know if you remember this, the WLIR airline. It was like a request line and it was a contest line. Mm. And I think I actually did work there, you know, sort of an off-air intern mm-hmm. for um, a while there. Now, this is all coming back to me. I did not even think about that till this very second. So, um, so, you know, I don't know how I ever like did schoolwork. <laughs> well, that is often a question. And most people say, I, I just didn't do much of it. And my grade suffered or, you know, the, it just wasn't that great, but we get so wrapped up in it and we're having so much fun. Who's got time for, you know, writing papers or going to class or sleeping. <laughs> yes yes um yeah yeah i mean you know college was all about you know make the most of this is the time of your life you, you know obviously schoolwork is important and you know it's setting you up for you know good things later in life and enrichment and all that stuff but it's it's uh stuff outside of the classroom that often can be an even better classroom yeah, the things that really stick with you and and mean something uh, going forward. That's uh, that's that's definitely true for for so many of us. What did we learn in class? What papers did we write? Maybe we remember, maybe we don't. But we remember the things uh, that we did on the air or in the music office or or with our friends. Those are the important things. Um, is there um, a proudest moment that you have at WVHC or uh, or a biggest accomplishment? A proudest moment, uh, biggest accomplishment. Um, I think I'm, I don't know if it's a moment, but I'm proud that I was able to participate in all the ways I've described to you. But then I'm proud that I got to um, uh, mentor others Hmm. to uh, take the baton uh, and, and carry it forward after me, you know, after I, uh, graduated and moved on and, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, something good to be proud of. You know, you're giving them the chance you, you're teaching and you're allowing the legacy of the great legacy of the radio station to perpetuate itself. And then that person mentored the next guy and the next guy and on we go. So that would be the proudest thing I am of the station. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Um, If you could, let's say an opportunity arose somehow, whether now through the miracle of communication or uh, someone at the radio station calls you up and says, we'd like you to do a show. 
uh, on WRHU. Um, A, would you do that? And B, what sort of program would you put together? What would you want to do? What would you want to host? Um, Boy, it would be hard to say no. Yeah. Um, I would really have to think about that one. Um, I think it would be fun uh, to be on the air. Um, I mean, the default would be, you know, play play you know music that i'm into you know tell stories uh but i i really have to think about it i mean one of the things that you know i'm very involved in in my life now is is giving back via you know charity work with uh uh trying to defeat als mm-hmm. amyotrophic lateral sclerosis and you know uh it it might be good to have a show that talked to people about uh, people involved with the disease, whether they be a patient, a family member, um, a scientist that's working on new treatments, a care manager that's helping to care for the patients, and um, give people a, a true work a look at what it's 360 look at a disease mm. uh, from, uh, you know, the perspective of uh, everything that I, I I just mentioned. And it doesn't just have to be ALS. You can take different diseases that, you know, challenges that people have. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's it can be a, a comfort to some. It can be just interesting to others. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe others will say, "Hey, you know something? This is a great cause, and I, uh, I think I want to contribute to it in some way. It could mm. be volunteering, it could be, monet- you know, making a donation, what have you." But I think that would be a, a cool show to have. Yeah, yeah. What a nice idea to to be able to sort of educate uh, from within the the community and from people who experience and caregivers and, and researchers and, and to have an idea. That, that's actually a really, that's a really interesting idea. Huh? Well, and you know, it, it's always fun to spin some tunes, but if you can, if you can educate and entertain, that's, that's also really, that's powerful. For sure. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if such a show exists, but um, could, could be, uh, could be intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh very cool. Thank you. Um, is there something that you miss most about working at WVHC? Uh, being 18 to 21 again. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just being with the people. Yeah. Uh, and um, some, some of them, you know, some of them I, I, I hadn't seen until 2019 when I, went back to the 60th anniversary and I was, I, I was I, frankly welling back the tears because I had such fond memories and, and one or two, I, you know, have remained, you know, close. Um, but, uh, they were so much a part of my life and they were, um, generally very, very good people. And we shared a passion and, uh, I'm hoping that when they look back and they think of the people that they uh, spent time with in the radio station, that they, uh, uh, they think of me and smile. Hmm. Hmm. 
if you could time travel for about 60 seconds or so and talk to 18 or 19-year-old Bruce, what sort of advice would you give him? Oh, that's such a great question. It's a great interview question. <laughs> um, uh, you got your whole life ahead of you and make the most of the time you are, you're experiencing now in, in your college years, you know, just make every second count for something um, because it will, it will serve you in ways that uh, you can foresee and not foresee in the years ahead because it's making you a, 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 a richer human being um, uh, who's, you know, you know, can be very, very interesting to be with and uh, somebody who can, you know, contribute to uh, his family, his friends, society. Um, and you won't get that by just sitting in your dorm dorm room playing mm -hmm. video games. Yeah. Uh, you got to get you got to get get out there with people, uh, and and just be a sponge. Just be be involved. Mm. Cool usually, things. usually after I ask that question, I ask, "Would you have followed that advice at eighteen years old?" But it's from the stories you've told me, it sounds like you did. It sounds like you took all these opportunities and more and experienced really wonderful things. I think, I think you took your own advice without, without knowing it, or maybe you time traveled. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, I think, uh, my parents were good role models for that. Mm. They were, they were doers, you know, they were, they were involved in, uh, lots of extracurricular activities, be it uh, sports, volunteerism, um, in, in, you know, went, went to a lot of Broadway shows and, you know, they were, they were not introverts. Mm -hmm, <laughs> they, mm -hmm. they put themselves out there. So, you know, thinking back on it, I, I, I think uh, I was very fortunate to be in a family like that. Mm. You know, I give my brother and sister credit too, but my, my parents, mm. certainly. Mm. Um, you've alluded to a little bit of this here of your, your post Hofstra career in life, but are there specific things or, or ideas or, or lessons that you took from your time at Hofstra with you into your professional and grown-up life? Um, being a, being a good communicator. Mm -hmm. Um, and in order to be a good communicator, being a, a good listener, um, and, uh, and on a practical level, um, I learned how to use my voice going all the way back to the, the, the announcing part. Right. And, um, l much later in life, I turned back to that. Uh, in, in fact, in as recent as the last 10 years, and I'm doing it now. And I became a uh, voiceover artist mm. as sort of a 
after retiring from the corporate world, um, in addition to the charity work, I, I have an agent and I, I do voiceover work. And so much of that was from way back when. Now, I actually had to unlearn some things that I learned. And that is, I learned to be a great announcer. And I think I'm still a pretty darn good announcer. Um, and I use it in different ways. I announce basketball games for our local high school, in, in mm. addition to the, the paid commercials and what narrations and stuff I, I, I do through the agent, uh, STARS Talent Agency of San Francisco. Um, I get uh, paid to be the, um, the voice of um, Redwood High School varsity basketball games, home games, and I, I love it. I'm mm. just about to start my sixth season. But um, being an announcer is certainly my sweet spot. It's in a, you know, I'm just, it's kind of me. And I think the radio years really kind of cemented that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot of voice work you do where they don't want an announcer. In fact, all the specs said, you know, we don't want an announcer. We don't want an announcer. We want conversational. We want real people. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I've, I've had to work really, really hard to put put that Bruce voice aside and uh, it's doable. It just took, took, took some work and, um, and, and still do the announcement. I announced our local parade to our 4th of July parade in, in Larkspur, which is, which is fun. So. Oh, that's fun. That's great. Um, Bruce, this has been an absolute joy. This has been so much fun hearing your stories and, and I appreciate the detail and, and the thought uh, in your answers and your stories. This is, this is just wonderful. I can't wait to go back and, and listen to this. Uh, thank you so much. My, my pleasure. And, and thank you for doing this. This is, this is priceless.